I first want to introduce myself to you today. My family and I joined Radius in 2016, and I had the privilege of leading our child care program for three of those years and working with the program for about six years. We have about 10 or more families with children that come through our program each year, and my husband and I are also parents to four kids. Uh, we moved to Tijuana about seven and a half years ago with three of them. They range from ages 26 to 13, and each phase of rearing children has presented us with challenges and a learning curve. We're always learners in this process. When we arrived in Tijuana, three of our children were with us, and they were five, 12, and 15, and it was a big learning curve. We were, had been told when we were getting ready to move to Tijuana that our 15-year-old would probably have the biggest transition. It would be the hardest for her since she was in high school, and um, that our five-year-old and 12-year-old would probably, it would be the easiest time for them. And it was the complete opposite. Our 15-year-old loved Mexico. She still loves Mexico. She has friends there. She visits there as often as she can, um, loves the music. I mean, I never have, I never turn on her radio that it's in English. Um, and our five-year-old and our 12-year-old had a rough time. So we just had to learn to adapt and kind of learn what would work for them in the cross-cultural setting. So I'll probably share a few things from our experiences, both what we did well and what we really blew it on and what we learned from. So what I want to address today is how we can parent biblically in any setting, whether here or over there, what God has called us to do and how do we steward this, this task that we've been given. So we speak to this at every conference because what we, of what we see coming to us each and every year. The missionary task seems impossible with many difficulties, and apart from the Lord and his work on our behalf, it is impossible. Parents need to understand biblical parenting for the sake of their children, because if they don't, then their children's, children will not become partners in this task with them. So let's start with what scripture says. In Proverbs 22, 6, we've heard it many times, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. We're familiar with this passage as the pillar of parenting wisdom. It's a proverb and not a guarantee, yet from it many books have been written and seminars composed with many methods presented as biblical and the way to have normal, God-fearing children that are easy to be around, contributing members in the church and society. It's important that we establish authority in the very early years of life because we know that God is the ultimate authority in all of our lives. We've been given the opportunity to bend and shape the tender branch of our children before they grow into a very thick trunk. Today, I don't want to present you with a method, but rather a challenge to how you think about the children that God has given you. Before we talk about anything practical, we must first have a basic understanding of man, that each child is brought forth in iniquity and in sin is conceived, Psalm 51.5 tells us. Romans 5.8 also tells us, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, for while we were enemies... I think we have to remember that each person that enter this, enters this world is an enemy of God, and that is the first place we need to start. Because if we don't have that basic principle engraved in our minds, but simply seek to reform our children, we will miss the mark. I have heard and seen lately so many things about grace-filled parenting and gentle parenting, and yes, we need both of those things, but so much of it is an overcorrection of the pushback against behavior modification. I think we can have all of these things. But mostly we need the help of the Lord. This is his endeavor. We want our children to learn to relate to him, and we want to orient their hearts towards the gospel, and for them to see that they cannot keep the law, they need Jesus. 
I think the key here in this verse is the emphasis on the way they should go and not the way they would go. This takes repetition, hours upon hours of not only training, but disciplining, not being a buffer around them to change every environment that they are in, but to help teach and train them to adapt to their environment. This works well here as well as cross-culturally. So let's talk about training and discipline. I think these words can be sometimes used interchangeably and sometimes can be seen negatively, but I want to explain how I want to define them here today. Training. I would say this is the proactive, intentional, repetitive teaching and practicing of skills and ways of doing things in your family according to God's word. And then discipline the positive and negative correction to help solidify the training you work so hard on as a family. So let's talk about what is the way. Well, from a tender age, a young age, we are teaching our children that their ultimate allegiance, Lord willing, and our allegiance is to our Heavenly Father, that He is our authority and He is their authority too. We can train them how to respond and how to obey the Father. So often we see parents arrive on campus and we very quickly can kind of have an understanding of what their worldview is and their thoughts surrounding children and their purpose in parenting. So some of these things I want to push back a little bit against. Children are not blank slates, innocent lambs that become corrupted by this world, but rather sinners born in original sin with a need for training in righteousness and discipline in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you think your child is an innocent blank slate, then the problems tend to be always with their environment or the people that they are around. And the tendency is sometimes not to be quick to train them and discipline them towards godliness. I love how Proverbs reminds us that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Alistair Begg is one of my favorite speakers, and so I listen to his sermons regularly on on one of my apps. And I think he has a, a really great quote that puts it this way. The real key to raising children is theology. It's not a book about child rearing. It's the Bible. So I think we need to start there. We see the world and its way of thinking influence parenting all the time, giving choices that children are often not ready for. We see this often with when they're tired. Are you tired? Do you need to go to bed? That's your job as a parent to distinguish that. A child is not going to have the maturity to be able to tell you, yes, I'm tired. I think I need to go to bed. So I think we need to remember what our role is and how we can help with our children at the age-appropriate times to to learn what to do. So as Christians, our parenting should look different than the world's because we should be doing more than hoping that our kids turn out to be good, contributing, conservative assets to society. We're training them to be followers of our Heavenly Father so that as we lead them and shepherd them, we hope to mirror in some small part their future relationship with Him. So the two things we want to practice, we want them to practice doing with us is to trust us and obey us. When I was a kid, we used to have that song. We used to have it on Sunday nights. We would have kind of your favorite hymn night or your favorite chorus night. And even from the time I was five years old, I would always pick the song, Trust and Obey. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but um, before I even knew what I was singing, I think it slowly permeated my heart over time. And and I I think it's still true today. So I'm going to talk through a few questions that our kids want to know the answers to from the time that they're very young. The first one is, can I trust you? When we establish routines for our kids, even as babies, our kids learn that they can trust us, even when everything else in their world seems topsy-turvy. This especially applies when you go overseas and everything around them, everything around you, you're having to adjust and figure out 
what's going on in our world. So our kids want to know, can I trust you? They need to know that your word is good. They need to know that you will be consistent, that you're not making empty threats in discipline, and that when you're aggravated, tired, or doing things out of frustration, they, they need to know that there's, there's some kind of consistency um, in their life and that they can trust you, that they're going to get to eat, that they're going to get to sleep, that those things are the things that they can, they can count on. So doing things what you, when you say that you're going to do them, I think that's really important. Not being moody or when it's convenient to discipline, often we get caught up in conversations or things come along in our way. And so it's our job to be faithful to those things. This is also with your spouse because your children are watching you. And so you want to be consistent in those areas. I think we've talked about eating, bedtimes, playtimes, nap times. Um, and when our children are overseas, they often want to know, okay, what comes next? So what can we help them control in their world? And what can we help them um, to know that they can trust us in? Um, that's really important for our kids to have from the, from the very time that they're babies all the way up through all of their years of child, of child raising. The second question our children want to know is, who's in charge? Does your yes mean yes? Does your no mean no? Are they the ones controlling things or are you in charge? Who is that? Um, again, are you consistent? I think we have to remember that the primary place of training and preparation for how to behave in public is done at home. How to eat, how to respond to adults, how to come the first time when called, then it's practiced in public. The public setting is the test of how the training is going at home. So if you need to tweak and refine things, we do that at home. And often parenting is not a one-time done thing. I think any of you that know that are, that are parents, you know this. Like it's it's definitely a, we, we train, we practice, we get on a public, ooh, not going so well. Let's refine that. Let's go back home. Let's train some more. Let's figure this out. And then often, even after they know how to do things, we have to be like, have they forgotten everything I've taught them? We need to go back and, and talk through some of those things. So one of the examples I give is when our children were little, I would give my our kids a five-minute warning before we left someplace, so a park or wherever we were at, if we were at a friend's house. Okay, we have about five more minutes. And uh, our oldest daughter quickly learned that there was a difference between where the setting and where we were at. And so the one time she asked me in front of our friends, is this the short five minutes or the long five minutes? I was like, oh, okay, guilty. I'm clearly not very consistent when she knows that she can't tell time, but she knows the difference between the short five minutes and the mommy's enjoying herself talking and we're going to be here a little bit longer. So that really helped me to say, okay, I need to be consistent with this and dial this in. I think remembering too, that sometimes, um, when we're, when we're out in public, sometimes we're afraid to discipline the same way that we do at home. And so our children know very quickly that there's a difference between when we're, when we're at home, mom is very consistent and she disciplines me this way. But when I'm in public, I can get away with everything because she's too afraid. So trying to figure out some of those things, those subtle ways that you can communicate to your children, this is, this is not appropriate. This is not how we train to do this at home. And so we need to remember that this we're out in this setting. And so I always found some, some easy things that were helpful were the little leg squeeze. Sometimes when they're sitting next to you or they come next to you, that little leg squeeze, it's just a little firmer than normal. Remember, we need to be doing the right thing here. Um, and then as, they're, as they age, as they get older, you can remind them that when we get in the car or when we get home, there is going to be a consequence. This is not how we are to behave. Children can remember a lot quicker than we think that they can. So, and then just being sure that we follow through. Um, so I think this starts at home. Winning the battle starts at home because you need to decide ahead of time 
that you will win. We have to remember that we are not battling the child. We are battering, battling for the child. They need you to win. So pick your battles. Pick them carefully. Remember that when you get into this, you need to remember, okay, am I going to be able to follow through on all of these things? They are watching, not being quick to jump into something and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Are you really able to follow through with that? So I would say that that's the second question. Our children need to know and want to know who's in charge. The third thing that they want to know is, are you real? Do you admit mistakes? Do you confess that you're still learning? Are you the same inside the home and outside the home? Or are you a do as I say, not as I do? I think children can easily forgive mistakes that are admitted and learn from. And I think the key to that is not just the admission, but the learning from. If we're admitting our mistakes, mistakes over and over again, but we're not learning from them, they're learning from us that we're, that we're not adjusting. So I think we have to remember that it's not, it's not that we're not going to make mistakes, but what are we going to do with those mistakes? I think this is important in any context, not just the cross-cultural context. So we need to start when they are young. We have to remember that our goal in parenting is to shepherd their hearts and to orient them to the things of the Lord to come to know our Heavenly Father and to listen and obey His voice. So it, we talked about the first part that is them trusting us. We need to know, our children need to know that they can trust us. And the second part of that is that they need to know that they need to obey us. So teaching our children first-time obedience. This is so important. Just as we want them to obey their Heavenly Father the first time, we need to teach them to do that here as well. And I want to turn to Hebrews 12. Because this is a favorite passage of mine that I think so clearly reminds us of what their relationship with our Heavenly Father should look like, um, but that we are modeling for, for them right now. So I'm going to look, turn to Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhort exhortation that addresses you as, son as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So I think we have to remember that. I think we can think that the discipline is unloving, but children want boundaries. They want to know where the edges are. So uh, the same way that we are um, comforted and can be comforted from the word knowing that if we are legitimate sons and daughters of the king, he's going to discipline us. Our children will feel like legitimate children of us if we are giving them boundaries and we are training them and dis disciplining them. So that first time obedience is so important. We need to, they need to know that they need to respond to your voice and to their name. And that takes practice to stop when you tell them to stop to come immediately the first time when you call them. And this just starts with basic training at home, practicing all of these things. Our daughter, who is 23, um, it's funny because we worked so much with her on this that even the, to this day at 23, Joe can say her name across a room, a crowded room, and doesn't have, doesn't, he doesn't have to say it very loud, but she almost always hears him. It's amazing. She's like, did you need me for something? Um, it hasn't gone quite as well with our 13-year-old as we did. We didn't practice quite as much with him. But to this day, our 23-year-old can hear her, her name being called by her dad, and she will respond. 
The other thing we need to remember in this with first-time obedience is to be unified. As couples, we need to remember not to undermine each other. Kids can always sniff out the weakest link. If you're going to disagree, disagree in private. Work it out alone. But when you're together, even if you feel like it's wrong, the wrong move at the time, once you're in, you got to keep. You just have to keep going. And so support each other in that. Have the discussion later. To go along with that, there's a saying we have in our family that says, you rig it, you write it. When you start to make an empty threat, stop and consider, do you really want to follow through with this? Or will I be able to follow through with this? Is this even possible? If you're making, if you're making a, a cutting off a, a line there to say, if this happens, this is what the consequence will be. If that's on your spouse's time, make sure they're okay with that. We had an instance of that. Um, my husband was in the military for 10 years before we, um, in our early years of marriage, when I was doing a lot of the child rearing by myself. And uh, there were often times when he would say, if you do this, you're not watching TV. And I was thinking, how am I going to make dinner tonight? <laughs> I need them to be there entertained for a few minutes so I can go make dinner or pick up the house or whatever it was. And I said, I sometimes feel like this is more punishment for me than it is for them. So we had to talk through those things to figure out, okay, what was a reasonable consequence that was beneficial for the children and didn't feel like a punishment quite so much for me. So making that decision together. But there is that sense of if you rig it, you write it. So being willing to just follow through and then learn for the next time what you're going to do differently. The other important aspect with this, with first-time obedience, is staying calm. Don't yell. You can do more through a whisper than a, and then in a calm voice, even if you don't feel calm. So I think just remembering that sometimes it's best to just take a moment and be able to calm yourself down and remember that we're talking to them and we need to just know, they need to know back, this goes back to number two of being who's in charge. I'm in charge. And so I'm going to, I'm going to remain calm. I'm going to talk to them like a person. And even if I don't feel calm on the inside, they're more likely to listen to me. They, they will quickly tune you out if you yell. All of this will most easily come about through training them to do this at home. As you practice, it will become easier when you are out and about. Another aspect of this in teaching our children um, is encouraging your children that life is not all about them. I would say this is some of the positive sides of discipline and training as well. Teach and model for them, this is at every age, how to notice others. Some ways that you can do this is serving your teammates if you're on a team overseas and or people at church. So helping them see other people and having a mind to serve. Um, another small aspect from the time they're very little is helping them clean up their own messes at home or when they go to someone else's house. Um, teaching them just to kind of take some ownership of the space that they're in and how to serve others in those ways. I think the other thing to do is to help them look for ways to serve. Um, and some of the things we've encouraged our children in is when they, when, when they enter a room to look at it and to always leave it better, or when they're ready to leave a room, to, to leave a room better than they found it. So there's often, a, I'm sure, this is, I think pretty natural to humans, is to say, I didn't make that mess. Well, maybe you didn't make that mess, but can you clean up that mess? And so helping them to just have a mind to jump in and serve, take out that trash, remove those plates, serve people around you. 
um, it's just a great way to help them learn that life is not all about them. The other thing is showing kindness to strangers and with neighbors. Help them if you have neighbors. Always look for ways that they can help. If they're the older children, encourage them to serve younger children. Um, If you have older neighbors, figure out ways that they can serve them. They can practice their baking skills by baking cookies and taking them over. And you might have to warn the neighbors a few times. This was an act in serving. This wasn't about great cookies. So, Um, But giving them the, the time and the chances to practice doing these things. I think the other thing is keeping it positive by emphasizing the things that we get to participate in. I think our attitude as parents changes often the whole course of how things would naturally go. If we are tending to complain, our children will pick up on that. We we naturally tend to be negative, and so we have to flip that around and be positive. So constantly orienting your children to say, isn't it exciting that we get to participate in this? Because it is true. We get to participate in a lot of things as believers, and we want them to see that it's all kingdom work, and serving is not an inconvenience. Each year, we see this at Radius, some contrasting parenting. And so I want to encourage us that I think we have to remember to orient ourselves, that there naturally there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Our, our natural flesh wants to seek our own way, but we know that isn't what's always best. Our children need to learn to trust us in this. We know best as the Lord equips us. And when they're young, we don't need to explain things to them. As they get older, we add that in reasonable amounts because they're going to need a little bit more explanation, but they first also need to just learn to obey. We don't want to give them choices that they can't handle. We want to talk to them simply and age appropriately, not reasoning with them until they're older and that we can explain things a little bit. Um, I want to take a moment here to talk about the difference between childishness and foolishness. And when does childishness become foolishness? So often I think we have to remember what's age appropriate for children. Um, I don't ever want to discipline my children for being childish, which would be something that maybe they're not ready to handle. So um, I think when our children, we ask them to help and to participate and they're doing something and they drop something on their way to something, that's childish. They weren't ready for that. They may have broken something. I'm not going to discipline my child for that. Or when they've been pumped full of sugar, maybe because they've been at the grandparents' house or the aunt's house, and they're having a good time, and they're they're physically having a hard time having self-control, I need to help address them and help them handle what's been given to them. But it's going to be childishness. Now, when that cross is over is when I've, we've talked about this and I've explained to them, you need this is what you need to do. And when they look at me and directly disobey me, then that childishness becomes foolishness. So we have to handle that appropriately. So I don't have a ton of examples. Um, If you have some questions, we can maybe talk through a few more. But um, hopefully that's helpful of understanding. I want to treat them age appropriately, what they've been given. What have I already trained them to do? It shouldn't be something new that I'm disciplining them for. If I haven't trained them in that area, I need to spend the time teaching them, training them before I'm disciplining them for foolishness. I think the other things, I I just kind of want to give some conclusions, and then I can talk a little bit about some of the things we learned while we lived in TJ. Um, Parenting is hard. It's a day in and day out, 24-7 job. It doesn't take days off or allow for much me time. You find out very quickly how selfish you are and how much you need the Lord and his grace. I think often we need to remind our kids that just like they need Jesus, I need Jesus too. 
And sometimes just that, that re relating to them as I make mistakes or I miss things, or I've recognized that I've not been consistent. I need to be before the father because I need Jesus. It takes denial of self and what I want to do now to put child, my child first in training and disciplining them right now. Often that means I don't finish conversations because I'm constantly leaving them to handle my children. I think we were, I got together with a friend one time and I said, I think I have spaces in my brain from all the times I've been interrupted from my children and having to take care of things that I don't remember how to finish a sentence. And so we, when we had time together to have a conversation, I was like, I don't think I finished a conversation in so long. I don't remember how to do it. Um, so I think just remembering that that has to come first and it's always going to be inconvenient. It never comes at a time that you're completely ready for it. It's in the middle of making dinner or it's in the middle of giving baths or it's in the middle of having a conversation with your husband um, or it's having a conversation with a friend or it's in the car while you're driving somewhere and you're thinking, I cannot handle this right now. Um, it's not convenient. You will give some of your very best days to parenting, sacrificing some of your best moments to love these little souls that God has entrusted to your care. I think the first five years are the most critical for consistency and training. They are what I would call the dog days of parenting, but there's a lot of fruit from that. And I think when you know that you're in those first five years and knowing that what you invest in them, you will see fruit from a long time. The Lord tends to give you a little break after that. I feel like there's a little bit of autopilot that you go on with just a little bit of fine tuning and a little bit of tweaking here and there um, before you get ready for adolescence and the teen years. And so um, I just want to always encourage parents like, continue in what you're doing. Keep putting in the work and the effort. Don't give up in those first five years. Just keep doing what you're doing and you will see the fruit of it. When our children run the home, we have to remember that it dilutes the gospel to a watching world. It distracts from the message that we are trying to communicate. Only the Lord saves the heart, but it's our job as parents to train our children to listen to our voice, to hopefully listen to his voice someday that that is that still small voice. That requires a stillness of heart, and we have to train our children in that. They need to know that they are not the ultimate authority, and their selfish way is the way that leads to death. Rather, parents are the authority and ultimately the Lord. The other thing I want to encourage everyone in is that it is totally worth it. The rewards of parenting and the blessing your children can be is super far-reaching. To the neighbor down the street, to language learning, to being willing to learn language and culture, and to help seeing an unreached people group come to Christ. We see a lot of hurdles that our radius students encounter as they come here when there has been a lack of training before they arrive. They have challenges that take they have challenges taking their kids out in the community and having the freedom and flexibility to adapt to various environments. They are constantly making excuses that their children can't do that yet. I would love for this area to not be a challenge to them when they arrive on campus and as they prepare to live somewhere else in the world. I like to use two of our staff families as examples because they have very normal, rambunctious kiddos that have lots of energy and strong wills. And while they still need training and correction, they have learned to listen to their parents' voices. They can sit and listen and be quiet during a worship service. They have been trained to do this, and it's not the natural way that they would go. Their parents are training them in the way that they should go. One of them is a single mom. She's dedicated. She's consistent. She's loving. She's intentional. She's patient. She's dedicated. And she's very tired. Adolescents and teenagers can be a huge blessing as well. 
Make sure you interact with multiple ages of families as your children grow up. I think it's really important to have, as, especially as young parents, to have parents that are in a ne- the next season of life that you can watch and observe how they parent. Um, there are resources out there. I think having families in your church who are a stage ahead of you and are doing it well, invite them over. Find a way to get together and talk and ask questions. Get to know the older ladies in your church. They are a wealth of knowledge. Read. Listen to sermons, read good books, and most importantly, pray. Ask the Lord for wisdom because he will give it to you generously. Um, I think another big thing is to make sure that your children know how to interact with adults and speak clearly and look them in the eye. Each age can just get better and better, um, but it also has its challenges. But we have to look for the opportunities Asking the Lord for wisdom and moving forward humbly, but with confidence. Not confidence in ourselves, but in the Lord who equips us for every good work. I often found that it's very helpful as we have interacted with families in different stages. I learned tips and tricks and different things that have helped, and I watch how they, how they interact. So it can just get better and better. I think um, we have some new new families on campus who've had new babies this year. And in the first six weeks, I always tell everyone, I don't ever enjoy my own newborns the first six weeks because I'm so tired. I'm just adjusting to life with them. And um, But after that, it just gets better. They get more interactive and they they engage with you and they laugh and they and they giggle. And so it can just keep getting better. And I think we should have that kind of mentality because I think in the church, we sometimes have people, and I think this is our job as we get older, to not be the just you waiters, just wait till they're two, or just wait till they're three, or just wait till they're teenagers. So how intimidating is that when you're a new parent to think, is this is, is this is the best that it gets? Is it only downhill from here? I think we should be focusing on the, each phase and what it can be and how great it can be. Some of the sweetest people I know are teenagers, and I've loved the teenagers with our with each of our own children. Um, so I think those are some things to, re- to be reminded of, that we need to ask the Lord for wisdom, we need to use the resources we have at our disposal, and we need to love our children in whatever phase that they're at. So just to recap a little bit, I think we need to re- be reminded that our children are asking three questions of us. Can I trust you? Who's in charge? And are you real? This is at every phase, phase of parenting. And then I think we need to remember that we need to teach them to trust and obey, just the same way that we want them to trust and obey their Heavenly Father. We need to start with a right view of man according to God's word, and we need to seek wisdom and understanding. I I wanted to share a few parenting resources for you if you're looking for some books that are great to read. There's Parenting by Paul Tripp, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which is by Ted Tripp, Third Culture Kids by David Pollock and Ruth Van Recken, Raising Respectful Children by Jill Rigby, and then Age of Opportunity by Ted Tripp, or by Paul Tripp, which is a book more about the teen years and adolescence. There's a new book out as well called Gospel-Centered Family by Tim Chester and Ed Mole. That is one I'm working on right now, so I can't give it a full endorsement yet, but it's been good so far. Um, yeah, so I, hopefully those things are helpful for you. Um, I think just a little bit, some of the things we've learned when we were in TJ that I thought I'd share that are a little personal, but um, one of the funniest things when we moved to TJ was um, my parents had kept telling Jude how dangerous TJ was and we're like, oh, can we just minimize this a little bit? And so he was like, we, first week we were there in, in TJ and we're walking down the street and um, Jude turns around and he's like, grandma and grandpa were right. 
Tijuana is so dangerous. And we're like, what are you talking about? There's like, we're just walking down the street. Everything's fine. And he's like, there's dog poop everywhere, which is so true. So um, one of those funny stories from just, just all the things that our kids observe. They're observing everything and listening and taking in everything that's around them, both from back home and in their new environment and comparing and seeing where things are at. So we were like, he's really observing everything that's going on. And to him, the dog poop everywhere was like the biggest deal ever. So... Um, we were also, I think in, in Tijuana, as we lived there, recognizing that often our frame of reference of what we knew in America and how we would apply things to our kids had to kind of change because we didn't have, we, the normal had kind of shifted and we didn't always know how to help our children with things. And we were acclimating at the same time. And one time we were, we were in TJ and, um, at the time when we first were there, the first six months, we didn't have a car with us. So we walked everywhere. We used public transportation, which was really beneficial. And that's what we have all of our students do as well. Um, but there's a learning curve to that, trying to figure out the Ruta system and which bus is going to take you where and then where it drops you off and you have to connect to another one. And so you have to take multiple forms of tra transportation. And so there were a few times I knew where to pick it up, but I didn't know exactly where it was going to drop me off. And so this was after school and our kids are tired. And um, the one time they said, Mom, we're like how do you know where we're going? And this is going to take forever. And everybody's looking at us. And I'm like, I know, I know. Like, I, I don't know where anything is either. I'm trying to figure this out. And they're wanting to know that everything's going to be okay. And I just kind of looked at them and I was like, okay, listen, I know the same amount that you know, which is absolutely nothing, which doesn't boost your confidence, your children's confidence in you as a person. But I said, I really need you to just pray for me. Pray that I don't lose it, that I can figure out where we're going and that we don't get lost. And they just kind of looked at me and I was like, no, like you just need to pray <laughs> inside your head, not out loud, but inside. I need you to just pray for, for me. And it was funny how just, just bringing their attention to, um, instead of focusing on all the things I couldn't figure out because I couldn't. And it's, it's very humbling when you're, you're supposed to be the leader and figuring out what things are and your, your kids are looking to you and you, you don't know what to do. And so I just told them like, you need to pray for me because I don't know what to do. And in those times, just them calming down Focusing on that, as they prayed for me, I prayed in my heart, Lord, please help me to figure this out. It's not the end of the world. We will eventually get home. It might take us a lot longer, but we'll figure it out. And then him just leading us along the way. And we did. It, it took us a lot. I think it took us about an hour and a half to get home for if we had driven a car, it would have taken us about 30 minutes to get home. So it was a lot longer, um, but help. I learned from that experience. They learned that from that experience. We will eventually get there. The Lord will help us and it's all going to be okay. So um, that's all I have for today. So if you have questions, I'd be happy to answer any of those in regards to parenting or parenting in Mexico or yes. Yeah. 
we had to work through that in that time period because it was, I was, I was the one in charge and I knew kind of what was going on and he was coming into that and entering that. So we would always kind of have a transition period. And if you're in and out of the home that way, sometimes we learn to how to work together. So for me, I had to learn how to, um, communicate to the children, dad's home. So ultimately this, this starts with him, but then for me to kind of catch him up to where things were in the family, how were things going? What were the new things we were doing? What were the new routines? What were the challenges and kind of catching him up in those first couple of days. So he would kind of observe the first couple of days and I would catch him up. We'd spend some time just talking through some of the challenges and he would just kind of watch me handle some things and then jump in as needed. And then if there were some times where I felt like, okay, I don't know that that went really well. We would just let it play out, and then we'd talk about it that evening, and so we would kind of talk about it. And so um, it took a lot of humility for him and ways to just kind of let us transition. But they knew once dad was home, the buck stopped with dad. And so for me to be able to do the best to help catch him up with that, where we were at, but then letting him take the reins. And the great thing about kids is I think there's very, there's very few things that you can do to permanently damage them. They're pretty, you know, if you're within the realms of biblical parenting, I think there's a lot you can say, you know what, we're going to do that differently next time if it doesn't go well. But there's, there's not a lot that I think they can't bounce back from. So is that helpful? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think it's really helpful to create a family identity. It helps, it gives your family a lot of security. And I think that's where, especially spending time in the word with your children and as a family, it's really grounding and helpful. Um, but it's okay to have your own family identity. And we actually encourage our students that way because um, often, especially in the first weeks, the kids form friends really quickly and they want to hang out with other students. And our kids had this trouble of, we, we felt like there were weeks where we never had family dinner together. We ate as a campus. And so our kids were always, they never want to sit with us. They want to sit with other people because they're way cooler. So we're like, okay, we are actually not getting good dinner time traditions we had always had talk about the day what are your highs what are your lows kind of those things and so we just had to say you know what on this many nights a week we're doing dinner as a family oh are you kidding me I was gonna sit with so and so and it's like okay you can sit with them tomorrow but tonight we're gonna do family dinner together and we're gonna talk through these things or break pulling away to have family worship and I think it actually gives our kids a lot of identity. I told my son this week, we were saying something. We were getting ready. He was getting ready to leave for a week to Idaho. And I told him, I said, um, I said, how come you, your, your room is not clean? It's not ready to go. And he's like, oh, why does it have to be clean? And I said, because we're drillards. This is the way we do things. And he goes, you say that a lot. And I was like, it's part of your family identity. And it, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's not a right or wrong, but it's just the way our family does things. And so I think it helps our kids with um, a little bit of identity. So. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes. I was talking with someone about this a little bit yesterday. So the, some of the years that my husband was, when we were not in the military, he was a youth pastor. So we were living life with a bunch of teenagers, which is, can be really challenging when you're raising kids because teenagers don't think through all the things that you're thinking through. So I don't know. It depends on, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's anyone that you're living with that isn't seeing things maybe the same way. I think just encouraging them. These are the things that we are, are really important to us and we would really love support on this. Um, or they did the things that we're working on. Um, and just communicating that it's not that there's, um, it's not that you're, you're wanting to communicate that anything they're doing is maybe they're not wanting to be helpful, but I think communicating what those things are that you're working with your children, whether it's, we're trying to help them sleep at night and, and go to bed on their own, or, um, we're really wanting to set these routines. And so these things are really important to us at this season right now, or, we really would like to feed them this food this way. So please don't give them food outside of that without asking us first. Or um, I know for when we worked with teenagers, it was like, you cannot walk off with our children. We have to know where you're going. Like, I need to know that I can find my child and that they're they're not doing something I wouldn't allow them to do in our church building. They're not allowed to do it on Sundays, but suddenly they're with a 14-year-old who's like, sure, we can do that. That'll be fun. So thinking through some of those things. Is that helpful? Yes. Uh, we serve in a context in East Africa where uh, usually the mom is the one who's dealing with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the husband is uh, doing something else. But it's like this is a mom area. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, there's the cultural pressures mm-hmm. that place with the mom can't expense. So, pressure from inside workers, pressure from other pastors in the church, uh, Christian friends who are of a different culture, judging how. Um, anyways, one thing our board hands for us is create a family identity. Yes. I think in a, I think in our age and culture in America that tends to be much more dads are much more hands on. Then maybe, then maybe earlier times, it can be, it can feel really countercultural to be where the mom is doing most of the child raising. I think the big thing is for her to know you have your, she has your, your total support, you're in agreement. And then for your kids to know that whatever mom's doing is an extension of you. The unity piece, I think, is huge. And I think there's lots of ways to communicate that in family worship, just in the day-to-day, as you check in with them, as you have opportunities um, in the home. Because I know sometimes culturally outside of the home, your children would never be with you, maybe. Um, But if there's – until they're older or if they're male children or things like that. But I think there are opportunities when you're in the privacy of your home and then when you are outside of that context, just how to communicate – you know, whatever mom does is an extension of me. I am the ultimate authority in this home, but but we're unified in this. And so there's little ways you can communicate that. 